Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder and chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, and that's Taylor Fulton, the Director of Marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Very good. Hard to believe we're almost at the end of January. And you know what that means? We're getting closer and closer to baseball season, which is Mm. is great because our guest today is Joel Goldberg, who's the voice of the Kansas City Royals. And we're going to talk a little baseball, but we're we're going to relate it to small business because we know that's what our listeners are very interested in. So, Taylor, I've really been uh, looking forward to this podcast and, and our guest uh, today. So I want to welcome Joel Goldberg. Joel, good to have you with us. Good to be with you guys. And, you know, any time that we could be dreaming about baseball season, especially, you know, I'm up here in Kansas City and with the cold weather. We're actually a little bit mild today, but we're a couple of weeks removed from below zero and all that. So anytime we could start thinking about baseball starting and the weather breaking is a good thing. It certainly is. So I'll introduce our listeners to Joel and then we'll get right into it. Joel has been with the Kansas City Royals since 2008. That's 16 years. He's also an author. He has his own, and we'll hear more about his book. He has his own podcast, and uh, we'll hear more about that. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and uh, did a little bit of, I remember right, Joel did a little bit of hockey, a little bit of basketball before he got to baseball and has found his home uh, with the Royals and baseball. So, Joel, with that said, fill in the blanks for me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, you know, it's first off to me as I look, I mean, this is what I do. This is what I've done for a long time. But if I could have told myself 29 years ago when I broke in, almost 29 and a half years ago, that I would still be doing this in the year 2024, that would blow my mind. If I were to say I was hosting every pre and post game show and doing every in game report for the Kansas City Royals, nobody else, just me doing all of that, I would have said, what's a pregame show? Because we didn't have those back all those years ago. And hosting a podcast, we didn't have those. And and then to, to add on to it, a speaking career, and that's not anything I ever thought that I would do. So it's all tied together beautifully. And, and just, you know, real quick on it, I started in this business doing what most kids coming out of college that wanted to be on TV did back in the mid-90s. I went into television news. Some still do it. The, the world of television news and newspapers is obviously changing. But back then, that's how you got in. And I did the sports on the local small town TV station and climbed up from there to Madison, Wisconsin, back to Madison and then to St. Louis and got to cover everything from Super Bowls in St. Louis when they had football to college basketball to NHL hockey to Major League Baseball and then moved to Kansas City in 2008 to go full time baseball and have pretty much done just about every game that we have broadcast in the last 16 seasons, minus some pandemic quirks and all that. That's great, Joel. Thanks for the background. Tell our listeners sort of what your your role looks like, because I look at your LinkedIn and it says Royals Live host and in-game reporter. And so I'm sure some of us have sort of an idea of what that means, but what we see on TV or what we hear, but what's sort of the, what people don't see, what does that look like? You know, I, I, I like this question a lot, Taylor, because I think that in my world, and, and by the way, this will be true of any profession, right? If you are an accountant, we know that you handle people's money and do the taxes. If you are, you know, on and on and on. Uh, 
but we never really see what goes on behind the scenes. And I think that what makes my role and anybody on TV for that matter, more unique is that you see what we do every single day. If you're watching, if you're not, you know, anybody listening right now, uh, let's say that, that, you know, the Fultons and you've got, you know, some ties, you like the Atlanta Braves, whatever it is. Well, whoever that person is there, that's who I am here. I think what makes my job really unique and different is that because we are in a smaller market here and I, and I have no desire to go anywhere. I've been here now. I mean, this is coming up on my 17th season. So because we don't have an NHL team here, I wish we did because we don't have an NBA team here. Football's all national. Every, every TV broadcast for football is, is some form of a national broadcast. They don't really need anybody else. And so they also don't need to build a studio in some building where you're going to use it how many times a year. So I do every report, every pregame show, every postgame show. And what makes that unique is that I don't share those responsibilities with anyone else. I go up to say, see the Minnesota twins or Detroit against the Tigers, and they've got the Pistons and the Red Wings, they've got the rights to all those or, or, or the rights to the Minnesota wild and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So they've got big stabs. They've got people. I may go up there and see a friend, a colleague one time, and we go up two months later and it's somebody different. The, the reason why I bring that up one, such as uh, an incredible circumstance for me to be able to get that repetition every day, but my job, which you don't see behind the scenes is no different than anyone else's. I'm in the people business. And so I get a chance every single day to rub elbows with these athletes, which is not as big of a deal as people might make it out to be. They're just normal people, maybe living extraordinary circumstances. And so when you're around it every day, not once a week or twice a week or every now and then, that's what I get to do every single day. And then because we don't have that studio, well, where am I going to broadcast those road games from? Where are we going to do those pre and post game shows when they're on the road? We travel with the team. We sit outside of the dugout and do the shows unless there's inclement weather. Then we go upstairs. So I'm in the middle of it, like knee deep in the middle of it every day. And if you're talking about being in the people business and connecting with people, which is so much of what I speak about, I get that opportunity 162 days a year. I wonder when you sleep during the, the, the baseball season. So Joel, our, our listeners, many of them are, I know are baseball fans and they are our leaders in small businesses. And I'd like you to, to, you know, we're familiar certainly with the sport. That's what we watch on TV. I think our listeners are also interested in the, in the business of baseball and how it compares to my business, their business. Talk a little bit about the business of baseball in terms that we can relate to as small business owners and what makes for a successful baseball business? Well, there, there are a lot of directions I think I could go with this. I'll start with this, Tim, that, and it's one of my favorite quotes. It comes from Buck O'Neill, the now Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, legendary figure in the Negro Leagues, one of the game's greatest ambassadors of all time. If you don't know who he is, and he spent quite a bit of his life in Kansas City, uh, before passing away in 2006, but just go on to YouTube and punch in David Letterman, Buck O'Neill, or punch in Buck O'Neill Hall of Fame, and you will see just some of the most inspiring uh, words. I mean, he, he just just a legendary figure. Buck O'Neill said, "Nothing better than baseball. It teaches all the lessons." And I, I came to Kansas City two years after he passed, but with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which he founded. And it's growing and growing right here in Kansas City. I, I have access to 
those stories and his world more than most people are, are I think, fortunate enough to. And so I've thought a lot about what he said, nothing better than baseball teaches all the lessons. And my interpretation of that is, it's a couple of things, but we'll start with this. Baseball is every day. And I don't know that any one sport is more difficult than the other. We can, we can debate which one is the, the most challenging. I, I'd probably put my vote in for hockey because they're all doing incredibly physical things. And then those hockey players are doing it on skates, but that's a different debate. What makes baseball completely different than any one of those other sports it, that it's every day, minimum five days a week, oftentimes seven days a week. And what small business owner couldn't relate to that? What's what successful small business owner works one or two days a week. Now, the difference is baseball six months a year, and then there's all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But for six months a year, you are sometimes going 15, 18 days in a row. You take a day. You ask, when do you, when do you sleep? You got enough time to sleep, but you better be able to show up and perform the other day. So the next day. So that's, that's the one thing. It is such a marathon. And so there's something to be said. I think we all, whether we're small business owners or not, we all want it today. And every now and then it happens today, but it's the big picture. And so the, the last piece to this for me, um, at least to the quote, and the business of baseball in terms of players is that you have to understand how to handle failure. And I do not recommend to any business owner or just about anyone else in any other walk of life, measuring yourself as being successful. If you are good 30% of the time, as you both know that in baseball, if you are a hitter and you can be successful 30% of the time, you're going to the all-star game and you're one of the best. But I think the better lesson there is that you have to be able to manage failure. And that's the world of small business. Nothing is ever up, 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 up. Every time you feel like you're up, you get knocked back down. That's sports, that's baseball slumps and hot streaks and fighting through all of that. And then I think just in terms of the general business of baseball, you're talking about working with a lot of people from a lot of diverse backgrounds that are all talented, but different personalities, different, you know, you name it. And building the right team is, it's not an easy thing, right? You've got to mesh personalities and egos and different talents together and roles. And not everybody can be the superstar. And are you going to be uh, transactional? Are you going to be more loyal? What is your culture? And in the world of baseball, where oftentimes the big boys like the Yankees and the Dodgers can spend and spend and spend and spend. If you're in a smaller market, you've got to be able to get all that culture and all the people right as well. Joel, kind of along those same lines, I think you've outlined very nicely some of the, the connections between baseball and small business and, and what small business owners and executives feel. Uh, I'm curious, in your career, as you've worked with different athletes and different management groups, what are some some characteristics or attributes of those individuals that have led them to be great or led them to push through adversity and kind of be the people that we know that we see on TV? You know, what's interesting about that, Taylor, is that, and there are, you know, some attributes. I mean, obviously, from a starting standpoint, they're all absurdly gifted. Think about if you're a sports fan, if you're a baseball fan and you know, who's the 26th man on that roster? Who's that guy that's up and down from the minor leagues? And he's probably not your favorite player. He's, you may not remember his name. He may not be there that long. He is better than almost anybody in the world. So every one of these guys have absurd talents. But I think what's interesting, and this is no different than any office place, is that they're, they're all wired 
differently. I mean, for the most part, they're all extremely competitive. For the most part, they're all extremely disciplined. They're all very regimented. But I think what's unique about this is that there's no one secret formula for any of them. I watch guys that are better off if they don't spend all, all minute of every day at the stadium. I watch guys that are better off if they show up somewhat more last minute, you know, whenever they, they need to be there for a game. I've seen guys that show up at two because they've got to get this done and this done and this done and this done. And other guys that are like, you know, what, I'm better off just showing up at four. I don't want to be spending all my time there. In some ways, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we've seen in the work world right now. And I, I tend to try to tie these things back together that the modern day player and, and make no mistake, the 22 year old, the 23 year old is much more similar to who you see coming in to the workforce right now out of college than what you've seen in the past. They want some freedom. They want to be able to make those decisions. It's not going to work if you say you have to be here at this time and you have to do this and you have to do that. And so what you're seeing in baseball, and I think the other sports as well, is you are seeing tailor-made approaches to every single player to satisfy their different needs. This guy wants to be in the cage this long. This guy would prefer not to be in the cage. This guy's got to delve into the numbers. This guy doesn't. But, you know, most of them, very technology savvy. Um, they, they, they want the toys. They want the bells and whistles. It's just, it's so similar to what you see in that work world. Uh, the difference is, is that at that major league level, they have pretty much every resource that they could possibly want. And maybe sometimes it's a matter of figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Joel, you you identified a number of key attributes of the players, these amazing athletes. I know you've seen and dealt with a variety of different managers, you know, some more successful than others. You know, I grew up, you and I are close, maybe close to the same age with, you know, Earl Weaver and, you know, Joe Torrey, the kind of get tough, do it my way managers. And today it seems like we've got maybe younger managers and some are player friendly and some are, you know, different labels. Talk about it, no matter what era, what makes for a successful manager? Because that's the person we identify as the leader in baseball or the, or the managers. What makes for a successful manager? Well, I think adaptability, first and foremost. I mean, you do have to be authentic, but I, I think that you have to adapt to the circumstances around you. You have to be able to adapt to the type of players you have. And that, I think, is more so than ever before. We, the days of it's my way or the highway are over, right? I mean, like I, I tell audiences all the time, Tim, that when I was growing up, which sounds already like I'm going to talk about being old, but when I was growing up, you know, suck it up and go to work. You know, you're not quite on your game. You're not feeling right. You're not into it. Suck it up and go to work. And, and that's never going to change for me. But I'm not saying that was the right way to go about things. Not if nowadays we have the ability to diagnose mental health. We have the ability to, to, to wonder what is wrong and to be able to address those situations. And that's being encouraged versus a time that, you know, when we were growing up, it was that shows a weakness. And so it's very possible that the, the next up and coming generation is going to be so much better than us. They're also dealing with more than we're dealing with. But I bring all that up because how do you think Earl Weaver would do or Billy Martin would do with this generation? What would they say? Oh, they're too soft. Get, you know, you don't want to do it. Get out of here. Doesn't work like that anymore. And I'm not saying everybody needs an arm around them, but they they want resources and we have the resources to give them. So 
That doesn't mean that every single manager now is singing kumbaya and putting their arm around everybody. But I think you have to have a greater understanding of people. It's not just about the game, a greater understanding of managing people. And so, you know, would Earl Weaver have adapted? Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a big hypothetical. What, what I can tell you is this. I think that when you hire new managers and you guys haven't had a whole lot with the Braves, which is a testament to finding the right person, right? I mean, you know, when, when you've pretty much had two guys for how many years now, it's a testament to the longevity of a Bobby Cox and a Brian Snitker, two guys as highly respected as anyone in the game. But what's interesting about both of those guys, I never got to know Bobby much. However, if you'll remember the Kansas city Royals won a world championship in 2015, kind of a Cinderella story, back-to-back -back world series appearances with Dayton Moore as their GM. His mentor was John Sherholtz. He worked with Bobby Cox and, and, you know, all the greats down there. And so there were some similarities and Ned Yost was the manager who came up under Bobby Cox. Those are all player managers. Bobby Cox was beloved by his players. Brian Snitker is beloved by his players. Doesn't mean they're exactly the same. Doesn't mean everyone else has to be like them. But I think more than ever, I, I think the reason why Brian Snitker stands the test of time and keeps coming back is not just the winning. It's because he, I believe, and I've talked to Brian a handful of times, but not enough to know. I believe he knows how to adapt to the modern day player. And if you don't, you're going to be out. So what makes a good manager? They all should know the the ins and outs. They all should know the X's and O's. And if they don't know them as well as others, they should be surrounded by coaches that do know it. A younger manager should have a veteran bench coach or someone that can call them out and say, hey, wait, I don't know that we should do that. Someone that has the experience and the knowledge of a Dusty Baker. Why did Dusty Baker stand the test of time? Yes, you're going to get fired as a manager. Why do they keep bringing him back? because he can, could connect with players. So I think that's the biggest thing to me is, is that ability to adjust and adapt with the times. Joe, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the championship teams of the Royals. I was actually living in Kansas City when that happened. Uh, it was nothing short of amazing, that stretch they had for a few years. I'm curious um, for our listeners, what team culture or chemistry or the it thing that drove that success um, is there, what, what's tangible between that and what maybe our uh, our small business owners and executives can foster within their companies? I think it's just, uh, and, and this I know this sounds so basic, but it, it can be so often overlooked, and I still see it every day in business, is that that it's always about people. And I think that if you are the Yankees or the Dodgers, I always start with them, but you know, whatever the big market team, I mean, the Braves have money to spend, I get that, but why, do the, why are the Braves relevant every single year? I think they take care of their people. It's a very transactional world. And so culture, just like business, can be hard to build when you're constantly turning over. And so I think you have to have the right people in place to pass that on. I, I think, you know, here in Kansas City, they built that culture. Dayton Moore built that culture. But because you're a small market, because you're going to lose guys, the question becomes, can you sustain that culture if you're turning over that frequently? And they went, you know, from first, eventually back down to the bottom and they're trying to climb their way up. I think the good teams can consistently build and sustain that culture and still adapt over time. So I think good examples of that would be the Braves certainly are one. The St. Louis Cardinals are another. Teams that you say, they don't have to, and they probably can't outspend everyone else, but they still remain relevant 
all the times. And to me, you do that by paying attention to people, by getting the right people in place that it's not just enough to go out there and say, we want to spend the most, or we want the best hitter. Um, you, you want people that fit who you are and fit your culture. The challenge for the Royals was that, you know, there were, Dave Moore's the most loyal, it has to be like the most loyal GM that, that you could ever meet. And he kept this unit together, which fans loved. But then once those guys were, you know, expiring, their contracts were expiring, they went on and they weren't able to really reload as quickly as they wanted to. It's a really tricky game, but I think that, that, that you just, you have to focus on culture and the right people every single day. I had a guest on my podcast recently who was running business all online for a number of years, cybersecurity, and they were online. The, the whole company's virtual well before people were doing that. And he says it starts with the hiring. It doesn't mean we're going to get it right every single time. But if we believe as a person, you don't fit our culture, we're not going to bring you in, even if you, we think that you have the skills to make us better. And that's, I think, what happened with those Royals. They got some good young prospects, they developed them, and then they brought the right people in that fit and didn't rock the apple cart. And then it just caught, it was lightning in a bottle in this town, as you would remember, I think Taylor was absolutely crazy mad about this baseball team. Let's switch gears now. One of the biggest changes in small business over the last decade that I've seen is the use, the availability of, of data. It used to be just the big companies could get good competitive information and and uh, customer information. And now that same information is pretty much available to any small business, thanks to Google and search engines and such. And so small business owners have got you know access to really good data now and, and interest in now artificial intelligence and interesting to see how that's being used. Well, there's a similar kind of revolution that's going on in, in sports and particularly professional sports, the the use of, of data in making real-time, game-time decisions. And it seems like there's almost a divide, and I'll just use baseball as the example, in terms of whether to use the data, when to use the data, do I just rely on my guts to, to bring in the pinch hitter or to bring in the relief pitcher, or do I use you know, this data that's being, you know, collected. I'm just interested in one, how do you see, am I accurate in terms of that trend of using data and and, and how do you see it playing out with, with the teams that you, that you follow? Completely. I mean, you're completely accurate. And, and I, I think about this a lot, even in my own evolution, because, you know, there are terms and stats and, and, and elements of baseball that if I don't keep up on that, we're not there 10 years ago, five years ago. If I don't keep up on them, I'm, I'm going to get left behind. However, I also need to understand for me that my audience may not want all of that. My audience may not be able to grasp all of that. And so understanding that if, if, if you're going to use this, let's say in my role, you better be able to explain it and understand it. If you're a player and you're going to use it, then there better be a purpose for it. I, you know, it, it's one thing to have the technology and the data. It's another thing to understand how to use it to make you better. But I, I think you have to be able to, to play in that sandbox at least a little bit. First off, most of the young players expect it. How, how often, Tim, as parents, do we have to turn to our kids and say, hey, how do I do this? Can you help me with this? How do I connect this? How do I do this? Right. I mean, that's generational. Well, those younger players coming in, they expect to be able to have this type of technology. They understand it for the most part. They may process it differently. The challenge for them is to say, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. But I, I think that if you are 
completely on one side of this argument, whatever side it is, I'm anti all the data and analytics. Then you're doing, and then whether that's as a scout, as a front office, as a player, a coach, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And if you're all the way on the other side saying, well, I'm, I'm all for the numbers and forget the eyes, the, the numbers don't lie. Well, you better make sure those numbers are in the right context. And so to me, there has to be a healthy, a healthy balance between all of it. I, I, I like using this analogy. If I were to say to somebody younger, Hey, um, I need you to run an errand and go to so-and-so store. I, yeah, you've never been there before. It's 30 minutes away. Take this road and then go two miles here and make a left here. It's the second there. And you would say, well, I'll just get it on my GPS. And the argument maybe would be, well, what if, what if, what if your phone dies? What if the GPS dies? Do you still, do you still know how to do that? You still have to be able to think for yourself. Now, what if I say, you know what? I, I just want my GPS. I want to be able to do that because what, what if when I'm on my way there, there's an accident that's looming ahead and I don't know it and it's going to save me 10 minutes. So, okay, I need to be able to think for myself, but what if there is, what if there's a race to get to that store and that other person has their GPS and it alerted them of that. And now they're better than you because of that technology. You better make sure that you are up on this technology. You don't need to live by it. It's kind of like a chat GPT. I tell people all the time, it has to be a tool in your toolbox, but it better not be the only tool. And I think that's the exact same thing with all the data and the analytics. Mm. Very interesting. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Our guest today is Joel Goldberg. Joel is the voice of the Kansas City Royals, Major League Baseball. He's also an author, host of a popular podcast. Uh, Joel, I'm about to turn it over to Taylor for our rapid fire questions. But before I do that, uh, I want to hear just a, a little bit about the book. My understanding is you wrote this book uh, right when COVID hit. You had a little bit of downtime in, in the, uh, 2020. So to, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your book. Well, I, I had started my speaking business in 2017, uh, which was great until, you know, COVID hit and then there was no baseball or speaking. But that's been my other, you know, my other life. And when I started it, Everybody said, you got to write a book. If you're a speaker, you got to write a book. And I thought, what, what am, what am I going to write a book about that's going to help my speaking career? So I started a podcast instead, having esteemed guests like Bob Costas and Tim Fulton and, and many others. And, um, but Tim was a guest and, you know, just wanting to pick the brains of leaders and influencers and people with experience, because I do think these messages translate across different businesses and into baseball. And as you'll remember, Tim, I asked three baseball themed questions that were meant to be kind of life and business questions. Really. What's the biggest home run you've hit? What's the biggest swing and miss you've taken? And what is small ball? Meaning when you guys know what small ball is in terms of baseball bunts and sacrifices, the little things, but in your world and small business and whatever it is, what are the little things that make you successful? And as all those answers started coming in, especially to the small ball question that dawned on me, there's the book, small ball, big results. And so I had that downtime during the, the pandemic and, and I, well, okay, do I write about baseball? Do I write about business? I've had hundreds and hundreds of podcast guests. And then it kind of clicked. Let's do every chapter will be a small ball topic, topics like trust and purpose and reading the room and on and on. And one half of the chapter is going to be about baseball, a baseball story. The other one's going to be a business story. 
And so we'll call it the top of the first and the bottom of the first and the top of the second and the bottom of the second. I threw in a rain delay in there. I threw a seventh inning stretch in there. So just a fun, easy read. It's all a storytelling book and working on book number two right now. And so not anything I ever thought I would do, but, but it's certainly a lot of fun. So listeners, jot that down, small ball, big results. Check it out. I'm sure it's available at Amazon. So now, Joel, this is my favorite part of the podcast. Uh, Taylor is going to try to stump you with a handful of rapid fire questions. I'm betting on you. I'm, I'm right. betting on you. Taylor, we'll turn it over to you. We'll see if he has uh, any curveballs for me. All right. I've got, I've got five rapid fire questions for you. All right. I'll start you off with an easy one, Joel. What is your favorite book? You know what? I'm going to go. I've got a bunch, but I'm going to go uh, back to the Negro Leagues baseball reference. There's a book by Joe Posnanski, who's one of the best baseball writers, I believe, of our time. And he's a friend, too, uh, called The Soul of Baseball. And it, I've actually read it three times. It is as much of a life book. It is not a baseball book, although you'll get great baseball stuff in there. You got stories about Satchel Page and all that. It is a life book. It is a glass half full kind of book from a guy that uh, they followed Buck O'Neill around for a full year, Joe Posnanski did all across the country. And so you have a lot of U.S. history of, of civil rights, of baseball, of, of the color barrier, um, and just incredible life. I, I could not recommend that book more highly to anyone, The Soul of Baseball. Soul of Baseball, I like it. All right, another book to jot down for our listeners. Uh, second question, favorite baseball player? Of all time, it all was... Time. Oh, it was Pete Rose. I mean, he was my guy growing up. You know, I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia before we moved to Chicago when I was 13. And at least people think of Pete Rose as being the great Cincinnati Red and the hit king. But when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, he played for the Philadelphia Phillies. He was the first baseman and, uh, you know, helped with their world championship. And so Pete Rose was always my guy. I've never met him. Ironically, he was the first ever manager of my longtime broadcast partner, Jeff Montgomery, former relief pitcher. He rose. Good choice. So you, you think he should be in the hall, right? I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of things he could have done to have helped himself along the way, and he never did. And so I feel like if he really, truly wanted to be in the hall, he could have he could have helped with that. And it feels like he never he never really did. That's fair. That's fair. I've been following baseball a long time. Uh, but up until recently, there hasn't been many rule changes. Um, and so the ones that they have enacted have been pretty interesting. What is one rule change they have not implemented yet, but that you would like to see implemented? Mm. Oh, I got it. I had to think about it because I know we talk about this stuff during the course of the season. You, you get like a losing streak in a slow stretch and, uh, you know, we've had our share and uh, you start coming up with creative ways to talk about the game. Uh, by the way, I love the pitch clock. It, it's been amazing. Um, what I would love to see and they do this, I think, in, in the minor leagues, or at least some of the levels of the minor leagues. I would like to see a first half of the season and a second half of the season because it is such a long season. And so uh, I don't have it all designed out. Smarter minds could do that. But that if you if you win your division, if you have the best record in the first half or the second half, you're getting it in some form or another into the playoffs, whether that be as a wild card or an overall division win or best record. There are ways to reward teams or get them in. Because if your team is having a dreadful first half, what's going to happen? Fans are going to stop showing up. That's not good for the game of baseball. But if you could start clean again in July and have a great second half and squeak in even as the worst playoff seed, I think that would really keep a lot of people interested. That is interesting. I have not thought of that or heard of yes. it before. I like it. All right. These are the two important ones. Favorite Casey barbecue. 
Okay, but when I'm done, I'm going to throw it back to you since you you spent some time here. Right. As as you know, Taylor, well, there are right answers and wrong answers, I suppose, but you could also get 100 different answers here in Kansas mm-hmm. City. I have two favorites. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with them. It just sort of depends on the mood. Um, Jack Stack is always a favorite. My wife grew up here, moved away and came back, and that was kind of her family's place growing up. They called it Smokestack when she was a kid. Um, and, and they just, that's more of a sit down meal. Yep. But I think the go-to for my family, go, go carry out, pick it up is, is Joe's used to be called Oklahoma Joe's. Um, and that, you know, that started in a gas station here. There's a couple more they have. I mean, everything there is, is amazing. The Z man sandwich is their famous one, but Joe, it's now called Joe's KC. That to me is probably where I send people first. How about you? A, a plus for answers. Uh, it'll always be Oklahoma Joe's to me. Yeah, understood. Uh, I used to live 10 minutes away from uh, the gas station location. That was a, a weekly visit, uh, and the Z-Man was it. Um, yeah. okay. And I really liked uh, BB's Lawn Side. Yeah. Which was sort of out of the way, but in terms of vibe and music, was a great spot. That's the cool thing about it is that there are just listening to this. Yeah, I, you should. I mean, th- there are places throughout, I've been here 17, 16 years that I've never ventured into yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like I have this goal to go to every barbecue place that exists in the area. And I don't even know that it's achievable. No, no way. But you got the good ones. Yeah. I, I approve of your, uh, your answers. Yeah. Um, all right, we'll get you out of here on this. And this is a, a staple of the podcast. Uh, assuming Michael Lewis writes another baseball book and then there's the motion picture about it. Who is the actor that plays Joel Goldberg in the movie about Joel Goldberg? Well, I mean, I'd love to say, you know, someone like George Clooney, that'd make me feel really good about myself. Um, I mean, I got the gray hair, the white hair, but (laughs) I think my wife would say I'm not in his league. So I'm just trying to think of like, you know, lookalikes, you know, like he's not really in movies, but everybody always said that Garth Brooks and I look alike. I'm just going Uh to somebody famous there. And um, he, we actually had him on our pregame show this year. He's, you know, always been a big baseball guy. So I don't know, or just find find somebody that's not known for their looks with a with a loud voice that that has a big personality, and I guess I'd go with that person. Good I see the Garth Brooks. All right, yeah. let's go with Garth. There we go. <laughs> hey, uh, Joel, I know that some of our listeners will want to reach out to you, whether it's about your book or about maybe speaking at an uh, at an event, listening to your podcast. What's the best way for them to reach you? I'll give you a few. Uh, the website has everything. And then there's a contact page on there, joelgoldbergmedia.com. So that's an easy one, joelgoldbergmedia.com. Uh, email is info at joelgoldbergmedia.com. Or, you know, messaging on LinkedIn or or Instagram are, are great. I mean, I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm on all of them, probably more than I should be. But um, link, LinkedIn's probably a, I always like LinkedIn for business. Perfect. Taylor, as always, our time goes so fast with our guests, and I've got a page of notes here about kind of interesting to compare the you know small business and the business of baseball, the importance of managing failure and overcoming adversity, the attributes of today's athletes, highly competitive, disciplined. Then we looked at the managers and what makes your great manager the ability to be adaptable to today's players, flexible, connect particularly with the younger athletes talked about the importance of culture, both in business and in sports as well. And then the the use of data and how it's how that's changed business, it's changed sports in the last decade. How about for you, Taylor? Any particular takeaways from our time today with Joel? Uh, as always, and there's just so many linkages between sports and business. 
So really just appreciated his sort of in-depth insights into, into what he's seen over the years and how our listeners can, can benefit from those insights. So Joel, thank you for being with us and uh, wish the Royals great luck. We'd love to see him come back and make a run for it this season. And we'll be looking for you uh, during the season. Have a great season. Tim Taylor, thanks. Hey, they spent over $100 million this offseason and, and are considered from a the worst, second to worst record in baseball, at least a team that could contend in a bad division. And maybe something will be on the line. We finish the season in Atlanta. So I'm planning on, on seeing you guys down there. For sure. Awesome. For sure. To Taylor, a couple quick announcements. want to remind our listeners of the Small Business Matters newsletter. They can subscribe at smallbusinessmattersonline.com, monthly newsletter. We've got our next lunch event is coming up towards the end of February. Looking looking forward to that. We've got the Small Business Matters Mastermind Group that meets every week. If any of our listeners are interested in that, would be happy to, to talk to them. I want to thank all of our listeners today for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. I ask you to both rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters.